Welcome back to Brain Body Movement, the podcast for those interested in everything nutrition, training, and mindset. I'm one of your hosts, Brad, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Brock. Today was another Q&A where we answered four questions that got sent to us through social media. Question number one, is it normal for me to feel hungrier on some days and not on other days despite eating the same amount of calories? Question number two, how do you get over the fear of lifting to failure without a spotter? I train at home alone. Question number three, when is it okay to go over and correct someone's form at the gym? And question number four, how do you know when it's time to change gyms? That was in the back half of the show. And in the front half, we spoke about showing up for yourself and getting support. A 15-year-old Aussie Usain Bolt transitioning from normal eating to tracking, mentioned a study on plants and gave you a few random facts. All right, enjoy the show. Show up, keep showing up. Somebody successful said, 99% of success is just showing up. Yeah, this is my favorite bit of unsolicited advice that you've done so far. It's uh, a banger. The hardest part is literally just turning up. <laughs> like, yeah. especially when we're talking about like going to the gym. Like if someone's like, oh, I'm not feeling up to it. I'm like, just go and see how you feel. Like the hardest part, the, the resistance that's coming is literally just getting in the car and going. So yep. just turn up do one set if you still feel shit then be like okay i'll just give it one more set and see how i feel and then you've done two be like okay i'll just give it this first exercise see how i feel if you still feel shit after that first exercise then maybe it's not your day go home come back refreshed recharged but still turn up for yourself yep that's turning up for yourself at the gym and in life really Mm. like it's just it's i think it's one of newton's laws or something something that's like staying still just stays he obviously said it better than me. <laughs> like something in motion will like stay in motion without getting hit. So it's just that initial, just like trains as well. Like hardest thing, getting that train going. But once it's cruising, you're on cruise control. It's and bloody hard people... to stop. Exactly. It's very, exactly. And the thing is as well, if you're going along, like I think because people are setting these massive goals of like, oh, I've got to be in the gym like three, four times a week at an hour plus and then they get discouraged and then they just don't go and they're like, nah, it's all right. It's too much effort. Whereas if you're just like, we've talked about this so many times of just making it so small that it's so easy just to go and you can compound on on top of that. Like just, yeah, like you said, just getting there, even just like driving to the gym. Like some people are like, nah, nah, I won't go. It's like, even if you just drive to the gym, walk in, go to the toilet <laughs> and if you're not feeling it, don't worry. I always say try and just like do an exercise or something. Just get on a machine so you don't have to even put on the plates. Like even the pin loaded ones, just get on that bad boy and just just give it a go and then you're like, okay. And then you'll feel the vibe in, in the gym as well. I think where it also gets harder is if you have a home gym or you don't have a gym membership and you've got other things to distract you as well. So I think that would be harder than actually going to the gym because then you're like home. And then I think you kind of need to, you almost need to like change straight away and then just go into it or as soon as you wake up, have a little routine around that. That's something that's actually, I've never really thought about because I've never had to, apart from when we had to have the lockdowns and stuff, I mean, it was just normal for us to just to work out at the BFR bands and everything, a lot of bodyweight stuff, a lot of band stuff. Yeah, so there's a couple of tricks. Like if you do work, happen to work out at home, there's a couple of things you can do. Like literally just changing your clothes is one way. Uh, changing your shoes, um, listening to your favorite song. We talk about just starting one exercise. Do the exercise that you like the most and is most mm. enjoyable for you. Nine times out of 10, when you when you just start, when you just show up for yourself, it's a case of you get blood moving around the body. It transports oxygen, nutrients, and you start to feel good, releases some endorphins. And you're like, hey, actually, I'm I'm feeling pretty good now. I can continue on with my workout. Now, you did touch on there, like people that are looking for three, four days a week, hour-long workouts, and they think that that's like perfect or optimal for them. A lot of the time, people get caught up with um, letting perfection get in the way of progress. You, you don't have to be perfect. Nothing in life is perfect. So why would you expect for yourself to be perfect? Your your chase of perfection is what is actually stopping you seeing progress. So don't let perfect and three to four days a week, an hour a week, um, hitting every macro to the T, 
making sure you do your, your 10K steps every day. You can't be one step short, making sure your, your sleep's optimized. That's never going to happen. So make sure that you're still seeing progress despite being imperfect. Mm, yeah, because I think if, <laughs> it's funny because I was just thinking of it then. If you're trying to dial absolutely everything in and then you're trying to be stress-free as well, yeah. there is no way that that's going to uh, happen. Good luck. Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah good exactly. Luck. It's like I want to be perfect at everything and I also want to be stress-free. It's like you're going to stress yourself out with not being like – with being so dialed in all the time. So, it's just you just can't win. So, I think, yeah, just – Rain it, rain it back a bit and set set those small little goals so then you can hit them each day and then you can build on top of that because shit's going to go wrong and you got to be okay with, with shit going wrong. And like even if you work from home too as well, even just changing your clothes, going into the car and just driving around the block and then coming home into your into your um, gym, set, gym fucking room, wherever you do your, do your weights, wherever it is, who knows? It could be in the, the living room, you got dumbbells, whatever, so... It just gets you into that mindset as well. I know also if you are a very stressful person as well and you feel like you've got no time during the day, like I go from work, then I go to the gym, then I go home and I got to cook and then I got to do this and I got to do that. That break in the car, just give yourself like five minutes of breathing or something and just changing from, okay, I'm out of work mode. I'm now into say gym mode and then the same deal, just have that five minutes. It doesn't have to be in the car, but it's a good place to, do it because most people are driving around to different places and they just have that five minutes deep breaths and go okay i'm out of work so i'm now going into gym i'm out of gym i'm now going to be a father or a mother or or whatever and then it just changes that mindset because a lot of it is around that mindset like you're the same person but something just can easily switch in your head of how you are perceiving what's happening so yeah that's what i would i would say about that yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It, it's it's giving space for you to change which hat you wear because we all wear many different hats. We, You may wear a parent, parental hat, you may wear a sibling hat, you may wear a, a child hat, a business hat, like a relational hat. Like we all wear different hats. So just give yourself that space to, I suppose, calm the mind and, and refocus and allow you to change hat essentially. Mm-hmm. Now, now on the, on the showing up, I fully acknowledge that that is much easier said than done. Like it, it can be quite hard at times. So it may be beneficial to, for example, if you struggle up with showing going to the gym, you could get a, a workout buddy or you could do something like uh, join like a Facebook group that is there are all people on the same journey as you maybe with a fat loss goal or it's all say um, uh, the skinnier guys trying to build muscle, join a Facebook group about building muscle and just find someone that is going through something similar to you and that can be some form of support. Now, there's something really cool that I came across today and we lived in London and Mm. I don't know about you, but when I first went over there, like I had my good mate Trent there, but it was a bit lonely at first, especially until you moved in. Like I was on the opposite side of London, Trent. It was was 90 minutes to get to him and I was sort of a bit isolated on the other side of the world from all my friends and family. It was a little bit lonely and I didn't have that support. So I didn't really have anyone to talk to. Well, there was a group that I saw and it's called the London Lonelies Group. And it was created by a woman in 2018. And she just set out with a way of creating a support network for her because she felt isolated mm-hmm. and lonely. And she still wanted to like have that support and someone to talk to. So she created this group. It's now got 30,000 members at Crazy. present. Yeah, at present. And that can really help you with, hey, I'm struggling with this and you go and talk to someone. So mm-hmm. find yourself a group or a support network or someone to hold you accountable to a task and that may help with showing up. Mm. Yeah, 2018, eh? That was basically when I left. That was when so, we left, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it get, it does get... Depends on the person as well. Like when you're first going into an, a new kind of country, living away from all your friends and family, I, I mean like... We got it a lot easier than back in the day when you couldn't even video call your friends. We, you'd have to send like a letter and shit. So I think we definitely had it easier. But like back in the day, imagine that. Like especially people going out like to war and everything. Mm-hmm. Like not knowing when they're going to come home and everything. Like that's crazy. 
And I guess speaking of the day, it's uh, Anzac Day today. Why this one drops? So we want to pay our respects to the Anzacs. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. And when we went there to Gallipoli, when did we go? Twenty seventeen to Turkey was it? Yeah, I believe so. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, that was pretty pretty eye opening about everything that we saw there. Very eye opening. <laughs> Very eye-opening. The, the, ste- the steepness of the hills really blew mm-hmm. my mind. Um, I didn't realize how steep it was. And then like two kilometers up the coastline, maybe, <laughs> like oh, yeah. just flat, yeah. like much easier yeah, terrain to try and come up. So, yeah, very grateful for their sacrifices for our country and probably worth acknowledging on this day. Yep. All right. Speaking of Australians and doing great things, I want to bring up a 15-year-old by the name of Gout Gout. Okay. He's 15 years old. He turned 15 in December and he just broke a 41 year old 200 meter record for under 18s. This is, he's just turned 15, right? For under 18s. So he ran the 200 meters in 20.87 seconds. Now, if you're not aware of 200 meter times, that is quick. That is light. Yeah. So he, he broke the record by um, 0.03 seconds. Um, now, for reference, at the same age, Usain Bolt's quickest recorded time over 200 meters was not even three-tenths of a second quicker. So 0.29 seconds quicker. And that was with a 1.4 kilometer an hour tailwind. If you adjust times for the wind, it puts Gap Gap only one-tenth of a second behind Usain Bolt at the same age. So this Ooh. kid, yeah, this kid is rapid. And he's only 15 and running 200 meters in 20.87 seconds. That is That is cool. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. That is where's he from? Uh he's from Australia. So he's got Sudanese heritage, but he's he's from Australia. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's actually Brisbane boy. Oh, nice. Shout out. Gout gout. Yeah. That is that's, <laughs> that's ser- crazy. Seriously rapid, hey. Like twenty point eight seven seconds. That is that is lightning yeah. fast. And he's only the hundreds were under ten. Under ten is usually really fast, isn't it? Yeah, so the splits for the two hundred is actually faster than the one hundred overall because like it takes time for build up speed. Yeah, yeah. And then once they hit that top speed, they can maintain it for a bit. So I believe the the two hundreds like really, really low nineteens. Whereas mm. I think the hundreds like nine point five, nine point three, somewhere around that. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So for fifteen, oh yeah, he's he's seriously fast. Oh really? So so what's have you done two hundred at all or hundred meters sprints? I have, I have done a hundred. All right. What's what's your what's it's, your time? It's stopwatch time, but around 12s, which okay. is nothing yeah, to yeah. write home about. Yeah, I, I wouldn't actually mind like get, <laughs> getting the old boots on and having a, having a look. <laughs> just out uh, of curiosity. Yeah, just out of curiosity and stuff. Like on the, on the weekend, um, one of my missus friends has like this sports day that they're making. So I'm sure there's going to be some sort of running running involved. So. Gotta loosen up the old hips of I think and <laughs> see how I go. Man, I love sports day back in the day, eh? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. What was your favorite? Uh I was really good at like shot put discus, but I'm yes. really good at the long distance running, which does not correlate ah. to, to my enjoyment for it. Like I'm good yeah. at it, but I do not enjoy it. <laughs> oh mate. I um I actually went into state to do discus. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me how. That and like I was, I think one place back of for swimming as well, um, and I lost my goggles when I dived in. But <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good time. No, nothing obviously came of it because you know, you know me, I don't really like doing running or anything like that. But I think I'm going to start start a bit of running. I reckon. Oh wow, I'm I'm mm. I'm in shock to hear that. Yeah, well, you know what it is. <laughs> one of my clients is doing a half marathon. So I've just been like full on studying up on it as well. And I'm just like, wow, this this is good. I wouldn't mind like going out there for a cheeky jog or a like, cheeky run. Yeah. Uh, um, but I'm sure it's going to flare up my ankle if I do. Yeah, fairly likely. I would look into your technique and your running gait as well and like actually well, think about your technique and gait because that's where most people go wrong when it comes to running and why I sort of discourage it nine times out of ten. Is it's a skill and and like a majority of people that what they'll stop running at like ten, eleven, twelve, maybe maybe thirteen, when they stop mm. stop playing sports, get into high school, and 
and they stop that running around component. But mm. running is a skill. So it's like, let's say if I just got someone to squat with a bar on their back, they'd be like, oh, hang on, I've got to learn the skill of doing this. Well, it's the same thing that applies to running. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would really encourage you to look at some videos on like stride, technique, everything like that. Well, that's the thing. It's also like you got to be over that center of balance or something. So you got to slightly lean forward. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some, something to do with that, yeah. I wonder if there's any coaches around that might coach me. <laughs> we'll see how we go. I might do it. I don't know. See how we go. I know you said you you made, you going for a lot of runs and stuff, didn't you? Yeah, I have been. So I went for a ten k on the weekend. My t- my times are okay. It's a it's a hilly area, um, but I actually looked at my times. And if I for my age, so uh, essentially thirty years old, if I was to do a ten k in under forty minutes, that's well above average. So is it? For is that guy, on like your Strata or something that you have? Yeah, yeah. I run with my phone, so and it's just got Strava on it. Oh, fine. Okay. Yeah. Is it Strava? Is it? See, yeah. that's how much I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just goes off GPS location. So, okay. <laughs> I, I'm really shocked to hear that you're gonna t- you're gonna take out running. So you know what? You know what's funny about that, right? You know, like sometimes my my memory isn't always the best. But back in the day, I used to run all the time, ah. like. All the time. Like every day. Yeah, every day I would run. I'd go, uh, I'd work, I'd go to the gym and then I'd go for a jog around um, because my parents lived, you've been to my parents' house, across the road, there's this like linear park. So there's a massive park around there all the time. So I would go there pretty well every single day and just go for a cheeky cheeky run. Um, I don't know why I stopped. Probably because (laughs) of shit. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting is we... uh... We both don't like running, right? Like we don't really find it enjoyable. Now I got asked this question. I posted up my Strava on my Instagram story the other day and it just, I put a little caption to it saying, I hate running, which mm-hmm. is true. I don't really like it. I don't really enjoy it. Someone hit me up when I put up a little question sticker box. Um, if you hate running, why do you do it? Mm. <laughs> so the fact that I hate it is the exact reason why I'm doing it. Like you can't tell me the people that do ice bars actually enjoy when they're mm. in the, the ice bath, like it's acclimatizing your body to stress and training your, your mental capacity. So that's literally what I enjoy running for is there's so many times on that run. I call them, well, not I call them David Goggins calls them one second decisions. So because you've got that one second decision on stopping, but you've got to be, if you do stop, you've got to be okay in five minutes time with yourself of going, I stopped even though I wanted to do this. So, mm. That's why I've been, yeah, I've been, every time I run along, I'm like, no, one second decision. And I just keep, keep going okay. through. So it's like training that mental capacity of like, will I, will future Brock be happy with the decision that I stopped? No, you set out to do this. So just go through with it. And I typically do my long run the first thing on a Saturday morning. Now it's something mm-hmm. I don't like doing and it, it can be rather hard at times. The one on the one on the weekend just gone was a, a harder run. I don't know what about it was hard, but it was just, it just felt harder. Some, some are like that. And when I start my weekend with doing something that I don't particularly like doing, if there's a task every weekend that I have to do for work, it makes it seem much less trivial and much easier to do. So because I've already done the hard thing or something that I don't Mm -hmm. like doing, I've proven to myself that, no, I just turn up or show up like we discussed at the start and I just Mm -hmm. do the hard thing regardless of how I feel about it. I just get it done. It's just something that I do. So that's the two real main reasons that I like running. Yes, there's the cardio component, good for the heart, but it's it's mainly the 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 mental aspect of it that that proving to myself that or making that decision for future self of like okay, keep going and I can push through this. I'm capable of more. And then the I've done the hard thing, so every other task throughout the day seems trivial and if a hard task pops up, hey, I know that I'm capable of doing it because I've proven it to myself. Mm, yeah, and <laughs> it <laughs> It's um, I've been reflecting on a lot of the times I've been saying it as well of how much I hate running <laughs> and that's also pushing me forward to do it more because mm. I'm like, why do I hate it so much? Like I haven't run in ages. So I'm like just thinking to myself, I'm like, why do I hate it so much? So that's why I'm going to do it as well because it's like I've said this so many times. So it's just going to be like a little cheeky challenge to myself of going and, and doing it and who knows, I might actually like it. <laughs> and then uh you never know yeah yeah i yeah you know you you never know so unless you try and, 
unless I try, exactly. Unless I show up. Unless I show up and go for a run, I won't know. But yeah, I'm going to do it, do it right um, and not, not go too crazy because I'm still in still in my deficit. Yeah. You know? So on, on the front of your deficit, I wanted mm. to ask about your... So you had that week of, of maintenance and yep. eating, eating normal over the Christmas period, not tracking, not doing anything. Easter I wanna, period, yep. Yeah, I want to ask about how you then go from that to then tracking. Like, like what changes in your mind shift, uh, sorry, what changes in your mindset to go from, okay, I'm not tracking, I'm still mindful of my food choices to then going, mm. okay, now I'm back into tracking, I'm being very diligent and I'm, I've got this, this shred to 10, super lean, mm. fat loss goal that I want to do. What, what changes there? Like the mindset around it from when I wasn't tracking to when I was. Yeah, mindset and like, is there any behaviors, habits that that changes for you over the course of that time frame? Because the the switch can be quite tough for people. So, mm, what, yeah. what what do you personally do? Yeah. So when it comes to going from not tracking, just being mindful about what I'm eating, to dialing the tracking, a lot a lot of the time it comes down to. I've got to plan out what I'm going to have those days and make sure I've got the food around. Because when I'm not tracking and stuff, I I do go, oh, what can I have kind of thing and not worry too much. Whereas I've got a certain amount of calories that I've got to hit. Um, I I need to have it around because what happens is when you go into a deficit, you're going to get hungry, you're going to get fatigued, especially like working out through the day, you know, work, all this kind of stuff is slowly, slowly draining my capacity to make good decisions. So just having it a lot easier of, okay, back into the deficit again, make sure I have my protein powders around, still make sure that I have all my meals, got fruit around, all these kind of things. Um, where where am I going to be working late? Where am I going to podcast? Where am I going to do all these things where I'm not going to be able to have access to food over a certain period of time? And I go, all right, can I have like a, a protein shake or a protein bar or something with me so it doesn't go like, four or five hours without eating and then I go through a drive-through and then fuck up. With the mindset shift, my mindset is still very, I can have anything um, I want, just not everything. So that doesn't change too much. I think people like this is obviously been a lot easier for me over the more times I've dieted. But I think people think that once they're off dieting, they can just do whatever. But that's not what I felt like. Like I did have you know a couple of Easter eggs a um, couple of days ago, even though I didn't have much over Easter. So it's it's not much has changed in the mindset. It's more like, okay, I just got to be a little bit more dialed in of like, maybe I won't have like extra sauce. Maybe I'll just quickly weigh that just in case or things that I know that are going to have a little bit higher calorie where when I'm just like doing it without, without tracking and intuitively – I would be maybe a little bit more heavy-handed, not too much, but stuff like that. Just little things where I know, okay, I've got to really dial it in. But the mindset around it is still very much so I can still have anything I want. And I think that's what puts me at ease. And especially tracking now, I know, okay. But when I am eating mindfully, I'm still I'm still tracking in my head, basically. Like I'm not, I'm not just eating whatever. I'm still having like my protein sources and that and, getting in my workout, still doing all my steps, making sure I'm getting good sleep. I'm still doing all the practices. So they they carry over. Like it was only one week. So it's not like much, much changed. But it's when you start to go two, three, four, five weeks, that's when I'm like, okay, I think I, I still need to – like if I was to do maintenance, after like two weeks maybe, I would want to track just to see where my baseline was as well. Um, but yeah, it's been – it's like I had a low yesterday of 89.6, which was, yeah, which was, I was surprised as well. <laughs> so it's, it, I'm holding off, which is great. And yeah, going into this, this week, really feeling really good, feeling really good. Um, I, I bumped it up, yeah, 2600 for this week to see how I go. Um, so tracking, tracking well, tracking well. Okay, so what I'm hearing from you is mindset's pretty much the same because your mindset doesn't really change too much going from from just eating mindfully to then strict tracking. What changes is you just track 
like mm-hmm. quite strictly when you're in, we've got mm-hmm. a strict fat loss goal. But the big change is preparation and forward thinking about your day, what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat, how you're going to eat. So that, get, that's the, that's yeah, the so big change. So don't get caught out. Yeah. Yep. Preparation is key. Uh, <laughs> Heard it here first from the big man himself. The, the big change that he, he that he implements from going from just eating mindfully, intuitively, still healthily is literally just preparation and forward thinking about what he's going to eat, how much he's going to eat, the macronutrient breakdown of the food, like all, all those components. So yeah, preparation is key. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> because it can easily blow out. Like I know it was only a week, but you can see, I would just go out here. We'd go out there and it's just like, well, what's in that? What's in that? And you have no idea. Um, but I do feel a lot more at ease when I do track. Um, but I'm not stressed at all when I when I don't either. It, there is like, I think if you're tracking for a certain period of time and then you stop tracking for a bit and then you have a massive weight off your shoulder, I think you really need to look at that because it might, the tracking must be causing you a lot of stress mm-hmm. of like, oh, I've really got to track this. I've got to be dialed in. I've got to hit these calories. And then you go over and then you feel like shit because you went over your calories when really you just, it's just, it literally is all about the mindset around how restrictive the diet is. Cause if, cause anything restrictive is bad and it can, you can still be very restrictive on like when you're tracking as well, like you're restricting to a certain amount of calorie target. That's why we talk about ranges. It's just a lot easier and then you can work out throughout the whole week, not just the day. So you can, you can shift them around, but yeah, just, I think you got to be mindful if you haven't, if you've been tracking and then you just don't track for a little bit and then it's like a massive weight off your shoulders, I think really look into that of what is causing you so much stress when you do track. Great point. <laughs> mm. Because there's so many people like that. So what what is what is stressful about the tracking? And you need to ask that question about yourself. Now, what's interesting is I'm the complete opposite. So I get worried about am I eating enough? Um, am I eat, making... Uh, solid enough food choices without tracking so mm. because my tendency is to under eat so i've actually been tracking this week but i haven't had any set targets or um, goals in mind it's literally just just eat that is that is my goal just eat and and i'm still like doing things as i normally would and i'm still like tracking weighing measuring everything but I just want to see where my calories naturally fall with me doing this. And then I'm going to, I'm going to see taking the scale away for a week and see if I maintain that or if I under eat and this, then the weight drops down on the scale or if I overeat and compensate. So judging from my own personal experience, having knowing that I've, I've eaten enough protein for the day and I'm actually eating enough food is a stress reliever for me. So you've got to know mm-hmm. who you are because where majority of my stress comes from is am I eating enough because I need to consume a lot of food to maintain the body that I have. So do you do you get hungry if or like what are your signals like when it comes to that? Cuz I know people can kind of just not listen to their body when they track because they're like no this is what I'm eating and then they just disregard if they're hungry or full or whatever they're like I just got to get it in. Like, have you lost that, or do you have that intuitively, or is it half half? No, I've 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 got the hunger cues. The hunger cues are are all in check. It's more my mindset around my food choices. So I'm, I I tend to when I'm not tracking, I tend to really steer clear of like higher calorie, high food. Yeah, 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 higher calorie food choices. So like, I pretty much steer clear of cheeses, and cheeses are a fairly big part of my diet. I steer clear of something like peanut butter that's very easy to overconsume when I'm not tracking but it's mm. a big part of my diet when I am. So that's something like something like honey. I wouldn't have honey untracked because it's very easy to have an overconsumption of honey. Like I know it's something minor, but like all those things add up throughout the day. Whereas I quite like honey and including it in my diet. So I'm just going to see where I'm at for a while. Um, I've been doing this for two weeks now, just eating and, and tracking and seeing where I fall. And I tend to be in between like the 3,000 to 3,700 range from day to day the protein is fairly consistent but that's because i know that if i have 
like I have my portion sizes set up and I still use a scale to weigh up my portion sizes. So I know that I'm getting 40 grams of protein in each meal. Plus there's mm. trace amounts coming in from rice, pasta, oats, whatever it may be. So mm. yeah, I, I think if I stick with this, I'll probably do a month, month of it and then I'll ditch the scale and just see what my body weight does. But this is the importance of having the data of your body weight, right? If you, if you weren't, weighing yourself every day and taking an average, you wouldn't be able to do something like this and just see if you can go intuitively. Like tracking is a great tool, but you don't have to do it forever. So you can use it as a tool. You can see what your body weight's doing and then, okay, so this is what I've been eating like and and make cognitive note of like, this is how I'm eating and then take it away. And it doesn't have to be like everything at once. You could just be like, okay, I'm going to do two days on track and see what my average body weight does over the course of the week. And if it, skyrockets and okay you're probably overeating heavily on those two days if it Mm. plummets then you're probably heavily under eating on those two days because you're worried in the sense of me of like overdoing calorie consumption so yeah i just thought that would be interesting to bring up that that tracking is actually a stress reliever for me because i know okay i am eating enough and i'm not depriving myself of of food Mm, yeah for sure and it's that protein as well sometimes Mm. you just you're like how many meals have i had you can kind of base it but sometimes you're like Fuck, I need a, a shake or something just to put me up there. What's um what are you get trying to get out of this? Just trying to find your maintenance at the moment or Nah, nah. I'm just uh like I'm I'm of the assumption I am not going to track my calories and use a food scale forever because Forever, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I um will just tease in and out of finding an intuitive balance where I'm at a body composition that I like. I can still make progress in the gym. I'm at a fitness level that I like. I'm healthy. And then the, that that final piece is having nutrition without having to to track. Like I can go out and enjoy a meal. And just because it's a high, like high calorie meal, it doesn't, that, that binge restrict cycle that I was in, I've then gone out, had a meal. It doesn't lead into, okay, I'll get this as well. And I'll get this as well because I've already gone off off track or outside of my macros or had something untracked. So that's where I would like to get to. And mm. this is a, a process in getting towards that. Yeah, nice. Okay. A bit of a a bit of a change of topic. I wanted to bring up a study done on plants. Now I feel you are going to love this, Mr. Dapper. Microphones reveal plants make many sounds, especially when stressed. And each species sounded very different. Now, we found that plants usually emit sounds when they are under stress and that each plant has a very different sound. Uh, The sounds emitted by plants can probably be heard by various animals such as bats, mice, and insects, but is on a frequency that cannot be heard by humans. Now, for the vegans listening, the plants are experiencing trauma too. (laughs) (laughs) They need therapy. (laughs) So it reminds me of a a joke that uh, my my little brother told me. He said, uh, why are lawnmowers loud? To hide the sounds of the grass screaming. It turns out it's not just a joke, it's true. (laughs) That's it. All jokes have a little bit of truth in it, don't they? Uh, Anyway, I thought thought you'd love that, but isn't that interesting? Yeah, so they set up microphones near these plants and then, um, yeah, they found out that when they're under stress, they they emit sounds that we obviously can't hear with the frequency of our ears, but yeah, bats, mice, other, other insects can likely hear the sounds that these plants are making, so... Really, really interesting. Wow. That is that is crazy. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before. When do they stress? When do they get stressed? When I don't know, they when... see a vegan walking past <laughs> or something. <laughs> That's traumatic. <laughs> um no, I, I'd I'd say it'd be like uh like under their like living conditions, right? So like let's say it's a tropical plant and then they've put it in like a desert condition. It could be making like a, I don't know, a stress sound of like, I don't like this environment or it could be, <laughs> or it could be like an animals approaching it that usually typically eats that plant. And then they, it's it, it, yeah. It, yeah, it feels it rustling on it and it can release this sound. And let's say it's a, I don't know, um, some sort of insect that eats that plant, then, Hey, it would make sense for it to release that sound, potentially scare the insect off and then the plant survives. So 
I think I've brought up before the study that I believe it was done in Japan where they had two pl- two identical plants in separate mm. rooms and they went into one like same environment, same amount of water, same amount of everything. And they went into one and they like uh, spoke to the plant like, you're a naughty plant, you bad plant. <laughs> and then they went into the other one and like, you're a beautiful plant, you're thriving, you're, you're the most beautiful plant I've ever seen. And the plant that was spoken to really negatively struggled to thrive, whereas the one that was spoken to positively really thrived. So just goes to show that they are an organism and they have feelings too. <laughs> oh my god oh shit i'd love to see that study but yeah i i was just thinking before imagine if like uh there's a plant and then there's like an animal about to shit on it that's probably stressing out there <laughs> <as well. laughs> uh speaking speaking of animals i am going to hit you with an animal fact do it mate okay the giant octopus sorry the giant pacific octopus has three hearts, nine brains, and blue blood. They are also able to change their color and texture to camouflage themselves in literally the blink of an eye. Very interesting. (laughs) Did you say nine brains? Three hearts, nine brains, and blue blood. So it needs like three brains to operate the heart or something, one heart. Like, what the hell, man? So is the brains... A part of the tentacles or something, because it's got eight, doesn't it? And eight then tentacles. you've got just and then the head. So yeah. would you think that's where all the brains are? Is that what they mean by that? I didn't do Come enough. Re- I didn't yeah, do enough research. Ask, right? <laughs> Come on now. I didn't do enough research into it for you, big man. That's <laughs> uh, all right. That's all right. We'll have to say it next weekend. Or <laughs> okay, hit, hit me with your fact. Okay. Well, first I'll ask you. What do you think's the largest desert in the world? Sahara? No. Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a big boy. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a big <laughs> one. It's extremely <laughs> deserted. <laughs> yeah, huh? Uh-huh. Exactly. All right. <laughs> that's a good one. That that's not me. But as soon as you said it, I was like, Yeah, yeah, look, totally makes sense. <laughs> mm, yeah, because you think like hot, dry. Like, yeah, it dry yeah. but dusty. Yeah. Cactuses. Yeah. No. <laughs> Plants that scream. Yeah. <laughs> All right, enough of our dribble. Let's get stuck into some questions. Let's do it. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just before we get to the questions, the only way we grow this podcast and help more people is if you share this podcast. So if you're a fan of the show and got any value from us whatsoever, we'd truly appreciate it if you would share it with your family and friends so they may also get something out of it too. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. Question number one. Is it normal for me to feel hungrier on some days and not on others despite eating the same amount of calories? Sure is. And that could be a few things. Uh, just off the top of my head, um, your sleep could have been impacted the night before. That's obviously going to throw out some hunger cues. Um, you may have exercised a bit more as well the day before or the day after. So a lot of it does come down to that energy in, energy out. So you may have like expended a bit more than normal. Um, another one is you say you're eating the same amount of calories, but you may be tracking it wrong and maybe eating different calories. So that's also another one. Oh, another thing too is it might be the type of foods that you're eating. So you could be eating the same amount of calories, but maybe like a high, highly processed diet and calories are the same than you say whole natural food, but then you've got higher protein, you've got higher fiber, more water content, and then you're just not as hungry on those days. But then you're like, oh, you know, I had the same amount of calories, but had a lot more highly processed foods and that could be like throwing you out too. So they're just a, a few reasons right there. Um, so try, obviously try and go for maybe just like write down to see when you're hungrier on certain days and go, okay, if you are logging all your food, which we obviously suggest that you do, you can see, okay, on these days, I feel hungrier because of this certain thing. Like me, cardio <laughs> makes me very hungry. <laughs> so I avoid it <laughs> sometimes. Um, so yeah, it's just also, you'll know your body as well. More, more, Moreover, like there are trigger foods as well. Like mentally, if you're in a certain mental state, are you stressed more as well? And you could just be like, sometimes you not feel hungry at all because you've been stressing all day at work. 
or it could be the total opposite. You stress eat. So there is a lot of different moving parts in this question, but just off the top of my head, that's what I would have thought. Now, in short, yes, I totally agree. So in short, yes, but there is a whole plethora of reasons as to why. So it's not as simple as as just saying yes. Like you mentioned, it could be sleep uh, is causing the reason you'd be hungry another day. It could be uh, training or exercise and you've done more or you've exerted yourself more on training that day. Could even be hydration. You may not have uh, consumed as much water on that day that you're feeling hungrier. And like you mentioned as well, stress. So stress is a really big one. Lots of people undereat from stress or overeat from stress and this impacts it. But even if everything was still aligned, it's totally normal for you to potentially perceive yourself being hungrier on one day compared to another, despite all the ducks being in a row. So yes, it's it's completely normal. Um, some days you're just going to have to be more disciplined with your food intake as compared to others. On the days where you're not real hungry, live it up. It's mm-hmm. easy. But yeah, on the days exactly. that, yeah, on the days that you are hungrier, that's a day that you go, okay, I'm going to prove to myself, I'm going to abstain from this food, I'm going to prove to myself that, hey, I'm capable of doing this and I build that self-discipline and confidence within myself. Because mm. it'll go away. Like it's not going to get worse and worse over time. Like if you're used, like if you're, especially if you're in a deficit, you got to feel hungry, hungry sometimes. Like just know that going into it. Um, so it really depends on what goal you're trying to do right now didn't really say too much other than that but yeah you got to really know like if you're hungry and you're in a surplus <laughs> eat more obviously <laughs> so, you know but like yeah it's totally normal so i wouldn't worry too much about that just depending on your goals it's a case of it is what it is and like you mentioned yourself hunger is an inevitable part of dieting okay question number two how do you get over the fear of lifting to failure without a spotter? For reference, I train at home alone. Okay. So if you if you have the fear of going to failure, <laughs> you got to have like a bit better relationship with failure. Like if you're doing bench press, yeah, I would have like some safety pins up, obviously. Like, or just don't go to failure. You don't need to go to failure to to build muscle. So that was the, that would be the first thing I would say is like you don't need to go to failure to build a physique that you want. I'm sure there is a lot of um, people with amazing physiques that don't go to failure too much and it's probably better for your joints. Um, But I do see the allure of going to failure, especially with some pump exercises and that. But the question is set in a way where I'm thinking, okay, squats, bench presses, uh, maybe some sort of dumbbell presses, something that's kind of overhead and putting you in a position where something might drop on you. So I would not go to failure if you don't have a spotter or if you don't have some sort of safety set. So just having the back of your mind, you're not putting the gains on the table. The the research actually shows leaving that one or two in the tank is actually better than going to failure in most exercises. So I wouldn't even worry about that kind of stuff. So if you are training at home, maybe if you do want to push that weight a little bit heavier, have you, whoever you live with, if you have lift with someone, do that. But if not, don't. I honestly, I wouldn't risk it for the small marginal gains that you might not even gain anyway. You know what I mean? Like if you think if you think you have to go to failure to build muscle, then change your mindset of like, okay, I don't need to. And there's plenty of studies showing it. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't. To be honest, it's very dangerous and for minimal. The risk outweighs the benefits in this situation. I'm in complete agreement. Why are you training to failure? There's there's no need to do it. However, if you're just uh, there, there's two potential reasons why you may be training to failure. One, you just really want to push yourself because you feel as though failure is the way. In that case, I'd go down your route and be like, um, do you actually need to train to failure in order to see progress? Probably not. And two, let's say you're trying to really test your one RM strength just because you want to know the number. So with the first method um, and you're, um, just wanting to train to failure because you think it's most optimal and you want to just see where failure is for you, go for an exercise that reduces the risk of injury. So if you've got, I'm assuming this is like a squat or bench press like as you are, let's say you've got dumbbells at home, just hold the dumbbell in a goblet squat position where you can easily drop it and just do your squats until failure. And that way you'll go, okay, that's what failure feels like and you can have a better association with failure. Um but otherwise, yeah, I, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really bother bother with it. it there's, it's not 
necessary in order to see progress. Now, if you're just wanting to test your 1RM strength, which I totally get because I do this every now and then, maybe watch a few videos on how to safely bail from yeah. a squat, set up pins, um, don't have clips on the bar when you're bench pressing so you can lift one side up, plate slide off, and then plate slide off the other side. Put some safety um, parameters in place so you don't hurt yourself. And yeah, learning how to safely bail from a squat would probably be my go-to for the squat and just having pins in place and then the bench press, no clips. And again, pins in place. Mm-hmm. That would be my advice. If you are testing 1RM and then if you're doing it for like, let's say a, a 10 rep max on squats, go with a dumbbell because that way you can actually go to a failure and if the weight's too heavy, you can just drop the dumbbell in front of you if you can't get up. Whereas a bar, you're pinned underneath it and then there's that whole mm-hmm. safety component of how do I safely bail from this lift yeah unless you do something like like a front squat as well that could be in front of you, you can easily easy get to bail from, from that yeah it's those it's those back ones <laughs> pretty crazy and the bench press i think this is the most dangerous one out of all of them without a spotter if you're going real heavy um and it's i think you need to have those parameters in anyway just in case you think you've got a couple in the tank, but then you don't and then you get caught because we do say one to two. And one to two, if you're not used to getting really close to failure, you may you may overestimate it as well. You know, when you're doing bench press or whatever and you're like, oh yeah, I've got like two in me, easy. And then that rep just, you're just grinding it out. You're like, ah, <laughs> oh, shit, nope, that wasn't like an RPE8. <laughs> that was like nine and a half. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> better load that. So, I think it's always having those safeties in first before you're even going to go to failure. Just just in case um, something does happen, even you might get, I don't know, something like hurt and not snap, but like just twinge quickly and then it might fall on you. So I think honestly, benching without safeties is still a little unsafe. So if you're at home, especially if you're not with anyone, like if you're not with anyone, you're pinned underneath a, a bench press, something could really could really go go wrong. So Always think it just a safety, just in case. Like you're not, if you're at a gym, a little bit different because you've got trainers around, you've got people that have done their first aid, you've got AEDs, all this kind of stuff. But if you're at home in a home gym by yourself, trying to do a one RM without a spotter, it sounds like a recipe for disaster, to be honest. So mm-hmm. just you know, put some precautions in just to be like, okay, I don't know, go live on like an Instagram or TikTok or something, and then people <laughs> might have like a call for you. But other than that, yeah. I would just be, I would caution you just to be a little bit more safer when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah, safety is paramount. Question number three When is it okay to go over and correct somebody's form at the gym? Mm, this one is a hard one, isn't it? Like, I, I don't think I've ever corrected anyone's form since I've been a personal trainer. Um, if someone's going to hurt themselves, usually, it's already too late. Like they would have hurt themselves. Like, like if they're deadlifting and they're arching their back, they may have like, I don't know, spine in there. If they haven't asked you for the unsolicited advice, I probably wouldn't give it to it because there may be a reason why they're doing it. Like if you saw someone do a Jefferson curl, yeah, you'd be like, what are you, yeah. What are you doing, mate? Like, like that, like some people, would take it good and others won't. Like if they don't ask for it, I wouldn't give it. Even as a personal trainer, I still didn't really correct people's forms because I didn't know what people were doing. They may have their trainer themselves doing them on a certain thing. If they're endangering someone else, mm. I think you have an obligation to as well. Or if you see um, like it's just four, you know what I mean? But like, I think I would say something if, people are loading up too much weight and they look very unstable or they're on a fucking balancing board or some shit like that. Something that's dangerous like that. But when it comes to form, a a lot of people, there's like a range of, there's no such thing as perfect form. Like there's good enough and people are within ranges. Some might not look really good. Like look at the big power lifters and stuff with their deadlifts. Like some of them got massive arches and that and they're just built like that and it's all good. And who's to say that your form is different? Everyone's got different, uh, limb lengths and everything so what might look perfect to you might be perfect to them but you have no idea because you're going from what you how you squat or bench or deadlift or whatever so I personally wouldn't think it's okay to go over and create someone's form because you're not helping them they weren't they're not going to change their form anyway if you say you know you should probably do it like this like they're like yeah all right no worries like 
unless they've asked you, especially if they've asked a personal trainer, then yeah, go go right ahead. But I think it's more about if they're endangering themselves or someone else with like heavy weights or they're just being stupid, like, uh, I don't know, doing fucking, you know, that, um, what is it? the That fucking machine with the barbell, uh, Russian, you know, how you do... Landmine rotations. Landmines. Landmines and stuff. And they're throwing the landmines up and shit like that. That's just dangerous. So I'd say something like that, but correcting form is very um, subjective as well. So I don't know where you're going to go with this, but it's a it's it's hard to to not like back in the day. I'd be like, bro, you're doing that wrong. But like, who am I to say it? Yeah. So the only time that I would correct somebody's form is if they are putting someone at risk of injury. That's that's literally the only time because you don't know what somebody is training for, uh, how their body moves, if they've got an injury that they're nursing, whatever it may be. So the only time I would correct somebody's form is if they are putting someone else at risk of injury. That's pretty much plain and simple. And I've been a personal trainer in gyms for over 10 years now, and I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've corrected somebody's form. There's a guy in my gym. He's quite well known. I haven't actually seen him in a while, but he gets on the cables and he literally just throws weights around. There's no technique or form to it whatsoever. And when I first started out and I was this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed PT coming into the gym and I was like, yeah, I'm going to correct everyone's form and have everyone moving correctly. I went up to him and I said, oh, just to let you know, like you'd probably get more benefit from this exercise if you did it this way. And he literally turned to me and he said, I don't care about form. I just want to lift heavy things. <laughs> there you go. And, and, and I was like, you know what? I, ca- I can't argue with that. The mm-hmm. only thing I don't like about that is that he's quite well built and he's in good shape and he's an older gentleman and young kids come into the gym and they see that. And because they haven't been trained like that their whole life, it puts them at risk of injury. So that's that's the only way that I would compromise someone. Let's say someone's doing a kettlebell swing and they're doing it with horrendous form and I can see them losing hold of the kettlebell or something like that and the kettlebell goes flying and potentially hits someone or someone's wobbly on a squat and I'm like, oh, they've got way too much weight. And if they bail on the squat, it may bounce back into someone's zone where they're training. That is the only time I would correct someone's form. Like you said yourself, if you were to see someone doing a Jefferson curl and you had no idea what a Jefferson curl was, you'd be like, I cannot believe this person is rounding their spine like that. That has got to be so dangerous. They're going to herniate a disc but it's an actual exercise. And when you've trained and you've got the mobility, strength and control to perform it, then it's a safe exercise. Mm-hmm. It doesn't doesn't matter what the form looks like. If somebody has those prerequisites, then the exercise is totally safe for them to do. But that's, this is very unique from person to person. So oh, yeah, definitely. yeah. I, I'd look at them and be like, I don't really like that form, but mm. I just bite my tongue and, and let them go. Yeah. It's that that's, Plain and simple. That's that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And because like, <clears throat> there's plenty of ways to do different exercises, and the way that may feel good for you. Like, be like, oh, I might be doing this certain exercises, but my shoulders clicking, so I have to move it just slightly out of the hashtag optimal form. It's just like five degrees. What's it going to matter? But like, you know, you can get quite particular sometimes. But yeah, they could, it just could be clicking or something, and just like not. Nah, it just doesn't work for me or, you know, so you just don't know. So it's just better just to kind of keep to yourself. But yeah, if you do see some someone doing something dangerous, that's when it's best to either let a PT know or say something to yourself if you have the, the confidence to talk to someone. But it's it's hard. You got to kind of come at from a way of like you're endangering these people right now and hopefully they don't get too bloody yeah. blown up with their egos. I was I was just about to say, just be prepared for that. They may be confrontational because they may have been training this way for years, never had anyone approach them, and now you're approaching them about something. So this is why I just err on the side of caution. And unless someone has previously asked me about technique with an exercise, and this does happen because I am a personal trainer in a gym, so that does happen quite regularly. And if they've asked me about technique for an exercise and I see them doing it and they've resorted to a bad habit, I'll potentially go up and be like, hey, uh, we discussed this before. This is what I would probably change here. That's a time that I would do it. But literally, the only other time, I don't care how terrible someone's form looks, unless even if they're a chance of, I think, potentially 
hurting themselves, I'll still let them go because I don't know what their training history is like, what their body moves like. I'll still let them go. And potentially them hurting themselves may be the lesson that they need to learn. Like if, if I was to intervene, then they don't learn that lesson. They continue to go on with that and they may have more weight and then it's a more severe injury. So yeah, I'd just let it go. Let people do their thing unless they're going to hurt someone else. Mm. Yeah. And I was just thinking if there's any other times I would, um, it could potentially be like a really young person as well, like fresh and you know, they've just come in for orientation or whatever. And they just looking around, not knowing what they're doing. And then they get on a certain exercise and you're like, look, man, maybe just ask him like, have you been shown this before? Do you want me to, to show you? Um, and that, that may work as well because when you're that young, you think you're doing it right, but then <laughs> nine times out of 10, you're not. So that's probably another another time I would probably say that. But I don't think some some gyms allow kids under 18 to use dumbbells, I believe. I know in my old know. gym, yeah, in my old gym, it was like if you're under 18, you can't use the dumbbells and free weights unless you're with a personal trainer. Oh, really? Mm, just for safety reasons and that. Ah, interesting. So I guess that's yeah, yeah, yeah. one good Learning way of body doing control it. and how to actually correctly perform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you don't have that like experience of using your body in space and lifting things and that. So being that young as well, personal training would be amazing. I know I had one when I was younger, so helped me out a lot. Okay, question number four: How do you know when it's time to change gyms? How do you know when it's time to change gyms? When you ask this question, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. If you're wondering about having to change gyms, then it's time to change. I think the atmosphere is a big thing about it. Like what were you getting from that gym when you first went there? Of like the vibe of like, okay, I look forward to going to the gym. So if you're sitting at home, you're like, I'm not looking forward to going to the gym. And then you go to the gym and you come home, you're like, that was shit. That's probably when you know it's time because usually... If you don't feel like going to the gym, then you go and you come out nine times out of 10, you're like, I feel great. And sometimes you might have an off day, but if you're consistently dreading going to that gym or if you see people that you don't like doing shitty form, you know, in the corner, who knows? It could be anything or just the, you know, when you like just saying hello and goodbye to the front desk people, like it's such a small thing, but that's a good welcoming vibe of a gym. It goes a long way. Like if that's not even happening, if there's like people that aren't like always staring at you or something, you know, grunting and shit like that, like, you know, it's very personal preference when it comes like this. But yeah, I think if you're asking this kind of thing, it's like, what do you want to get out of it? Is it like a full bodybuilding gym? Is it like a kind of wellness relaxation kind of gym like that? Like what phase are you in to get like to what you want to actually get out of it. Like, are you just going there because it's cheap? And you're like, oh, fuck. Like, you could you could go to a gym that with small amounts of equipment. So that's probably another way as well. Like, time to change gym because you've exhausted all the equipment out. Like, I, I think I saw you got 50s, but like, maybe you want to go to 55s now. So maybe it might be time to change gym or get some 55s. Like, for some, I remember, I think Jets or whatever, it was like up to 40s and stuff. You know, that's, if you're doing 40s, like, Time to change gyms, not enough squat racks. If you go on that peak hour time, then you're always waiting for equipment. Maybe it's time to change gyms because you don't want a bad association with the gym. Of like, every time I go to the gym, I'm stressed because there's so many people and I'm always waiting for equipment. So that might be another time to upgrade to, to, a, to a bigger gym that accommodates a lot more people because they know around peak hour, there's going to be a lot more people. So they have a lot more equipment. And then that stresses you less and then you feel good about going to the gym. So that's probably another time I would, I'd say to when it's time to change gyms. So like I said, if you're asking this question, it's probably a sign that you're ready to change gym. That's probably enough of an indicator. But just ask yourself this question. What am I wanting to get out of my gym? Do you want a sauna? Do you want an ease of access to equipment? Do you want a wide variety of equipment? Do you want a functional area? Do you want more cardio equipment? Um, do you want a great gym community? Do you want the staff to be really friendly to you? These are all questions that you need to weigh up what you're really wanting to get from the gym. And then once you get that answer, you can go, okay, is this gym that I'm currently at providing what I want from a gym for me? 
and you can run through yes, no, yes, no. There's more no's than yeses, then you probably need to change gym. Uh, have a look at another gym. Maybe just trial another gym first. See what the energy is like in there, what the the staff are like, what it, and and see how many yeses and nos you get from what you're looking to get from a gym. And that would be how I do it. I'd be really analytical with it and be like, is this getting? Am, am I getting the services from the gym that I want to get? Yes, 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 yes. Perfect. I, there's no need for me to change gym. But like I said at the start, if you're asking this question, you probably already want to change gym because you're already thinking about it. So yeah, make the move. Mm, yeah it's obviously in the back of your mind and the thing is as well like those free trials are great most people do like another one would be you're you're at work and then you have to drive to pass your house to get to the gym so it's just that little bit out the way as well so because i think a lot of people kind of stay around their area of gyms that are close to them or close to their work so finding a gym that's more convenient as well is another way of like, okay, I'm not been going to the gym as much as I would like to. Is it because of the inconvenience of having to drive past my house to go to the gym and then back to my house? It's just so easier if you're passing past, if you're going past your gym and then to your house, then it is having a pass your house. You're like, oh, there's my house. Ah, oh, shit. Now I got to go drive another five, 10 minutes past. It's just something so small like that. And then after a long day's work, most people are just like fuck that and just go straight home so it's like okay really reevaluate am i not going to the gym because it's just the access this isn't there so you got to make it just easier nice and seamless for you to go to the gym and then um you will know you will know you will know like but yeah trialing it is yeah. a lot better you, so you you know straight away you know straight away and i think you already know i think you've already made the decision like i think you just want confirmation from us and you've got it just change gyms get get an upgrade you deserve <laughs> it it's like it's your health and this is this ha- yes you're stressing your body but it's a good stress you don't want it to be a bad stress of like oh i've got to go to the gym again oh it's fucking another five ten minutes past my i just want to go home and relax like that's not a good mindset to have around the gym and it may be because of people in there might be the equipment waiting around all the time might be further away it's all these different factors in picking a good gym and You'd be surprised. Like, I think if you are a person that just has the headphones on and just does their own thing, all sweet. But if you're a person that doesn't have headphones on and you like talking to people and stuff and there's no one around your gym to talk to, then yeah, maybe it's time to... Obviously, during breaks, you got to talk to them, but yeah, not during the set. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a big thing because I think if you've just tried one gym and then it was shit and you had a bad experience and then you might be off gyms forever and that's... That's not what we want. There's amazing gyms out there with amazing people. Like obviously, the people make the gym. Obviously, the equipment helps too. But it's all, it's definitely the staff and the trainers and how everything kind of interweaves and interlocks with everything else. And it, it grows as you grow as well because you might have a perception of a certain gym um, and it, it might be not what you want. And it also might be you've changed from going at night to going in the morning or vice versa. And you're like, oh, I don't like the night crowd or, oh, I don't like the morning crowd, you know. They're bringing in too many yoga mats or something or the night crowd's grunting too much. Whatever it is, whatever, you know, your cup of tea is. And you're like, okay, maybe I need to find a more relaxing gym or maybe I need to find a more hardcore gym because this is just not vibing right with my goals right now. And you could have different gyms for different goals as well. You know, nursing and injury might be different else, yeah. That was going to be something I brought up. It, it may be a case of you have one gym and I've heard Chris Williamson talk about this and he's got several gym memberships and he goes to each gym based on how he's feeling. So if he wants a, a really grueling workout, he'll go to the old dungy uh, powerlifting bodybuilding style gym. And if he wants like a bougie workout, he'll go to the expensive one. He'll have the um, sauna afterwards. He'll have the steam room afterwards um, and he'll move on the, all the nice, fresh, clean looking equipment. And then he's got another, yeah, another gym that he goes to purely so he can train with a friend. So he's he's got three members. Obviously, you have to be in a position to be able to do that. Uh, he's got a bit money of wise, on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, it's interesting the way that he talked about. He's got different gyms for different moods that he's in, different mindsets if he's training with a mate. So, <clears throat> like I said, the crust of it is write a list of what you're wanting to get from the gym, assess gyms in your area preferably close to work or close to home 
and then see if they align with what you're looking to get from the gym. If they align, then go in, see what the energy and atmosphere is like. And that way you'll get it. You'll get a pretty good class. Like you will know. <laughs> yeah, said this. You, you, you will know straight away. You'll be like, yeah, this is, this is my people. <laughs> this is my place. They were really friendly staff, whatever it may be. Yeah, exactly. And even just with, if you go on with a friend and stuff, they're like, they can vouch for the gym as well. Just like, oh, what gym are you going to? Like, what's it like kind of thing? Can I come with you? Some gyms allow friends on the weekend. Others, you might just have to pay a, a quick fee or they might be running a, a week promotion or something. So just look around. There's there's plenty of gyms out there. There's even small boutique gyms that have a specific like powerlifting or CrossFit or something like that. Maybe you just want to do the classes and that's your introduction to the gym as well. Pilates, all that kind of stuff. So just, yeah, go go fucking work it out, mate. <laughs> You'll be right. <laughs> Tri- trial and error. That's it. Okay, so that's it for today's questions. Now, if you want your questions answered in the future, make sure you are following us at brain.body.movement, at Brad Dapper, and at Brock underscore Dalgleish. And you can ask us a question whenever we put up a sticker box or send us a DM. But we just want to say thank you so much for listening to us. If you enjoyed or took any value at all from this episode, we would really appreciate it if you took a screenshot and shared to your Instagram stories. We would also love if you shared it with family and friends and left us a five-star review. And don't forget to turn on post notifications so you don't miss an episode in the future. But before we go, if we can leave you with a few things, make it embed, get your steps in, and be kind to one another. Cheers. It's a case of it is what it is. And like you mentioned yourself, hunger is an inevitable part of dieting. So, yeah, re- reframe your mindset as the way that you see hunger and that uh, choosing to be hunger is quite literally a privilege. So Choosing to be hunger. It, choose, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to cut that you and put that to, at the no, end. No, I'm not cutting that shit out, bro. <laughs> choosing to be hungry is a, is a, is a privilege. <laughs> Oh, my. I'll see how it goes. <laughs>